just a moment. But we're going to talk about three main things that God gives to every single Christian this morning. And I think it's highly important that we spend some time here. If you got your Bibles again, let's go to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 1. And let's start at verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also hath sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Father, I pray now that as we once again open the only book that you've ever given us to read, the precious Word of God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, uh, uh, so often there's so many individuals that I've talked to over the years, and maybe there's some here this morning, and they've come to a place where they sincerely doubt whether they're saved or not. They, they believe they've trusted Christ, but then somehow doubts enter in. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at uh, three of the things that you've given to us as your people, I pray that you'd bless our time together. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's going through that struggle, uh, trying to determine if they're truly a Christian or not, then Father, I pray that they'd get that settled this morning. Then, Father, maybe for someone uh, uh, or here or watching this morning, and uh, they just, they've never been sure if they died, they go to heaven. Uh, Lord, we pray that they might find uh, the Lord Jesus this morning, receive him as their personal Savior, and we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a couple of things. We've already kind of hinted at what we're going to be looking at this morning. Do you struggle with knowing if you're going to heaven? And, uh, uh, there's individuals, I, and I know it's a constant thing. People, when I, I, they come into my office, maybe it's for counseling or membership or baptism, whatever it might be, and, and they kind of struggle a bit. It's like, well, you know, I, I think this is when I got saved, but uh, I've been struggling with it, and I'm not sure. I, I just, I'm, I'm struggling. And, and there's a lot of people like that that, unfortunately, you've, you endure that struggle, and, and it's not fun. And mentally and emotionally, sometimes it's very disturbing to people, and I get that. So I'm going to try and help you this morning. Uh, uh, if you're one of those individuals that struggles with, am I eternally secure? Am I truly saved? We're going to look at some of those things this morning. I'm, I'm going to give you a little basic thought. Not to say it's the perfect thought, but here's a little thought. If you're one of those who doubts whether you're saved or not, and you honestly believe at some point in your life, you believe you placed your faith and trust in Christ, but now it's like, man, I'm just not sure. Here's a, an interesting thought that was given to me many, many years ago by someone. And they said, if you doubt yourself, if you doubt yourself, in all likelihood, you probably trusted Christ because you look at yourself and you see that you don't always match up to what you think you should be. Now, on the other hand, if you doubt God and say, well, I'm not sure God did this, then there's probably a, a you, you probably should pay attention today, especially at the end of the message. Uh, it's like, well, I'm not sure God did this. If you're doubting God, then there's probably, maybe we should uh, uh, recheck where we're at with the Lord this morning. So uh, again, we're talking very subjectively. I'm just giving some guidelines here, but let's look at the scriptures this morning, which of course are the ultimate 
rule book, if you will, and I don't like saying rule book, but it's uh, if you want to get, you want the manual, you want to know exactly what is true and what isn't, it's, it's in there, every single thing we need. Uh, do you ever doubt your salvation? So we touched that. Do you believe you can lose your salvation? So there's, uh, uh, not to get super theological this morning, but we got some folks that have uh, been to Bible school, so we'll pop into a little bit of this. So if I, if, I, if I talk to you about two main theological camps, I'm not talking dispensationally right now, but two major thoughts on are you saved, are you permanently saved, uh, or this dichotomy that exists among certain theological groups. So how many, how many ever heard of a guy named Calvin? All right, most of you. How many of you have heard of Joseph Arminius? Joseph Arminius, all right? So those are two separate and off-the-charts off the difference when it comes to the topic of salvation uh, for, the, for the scholars in the room, soteriology. How do you get saved? How do you know you're saved? What's the Bible say about it? So it's a huge issue, and it is a huge issue. So here's the issue for the, the, the problem of when I trust Jesus Christ as my personal, personal Savior, Am I truly saved? Do I, I mean, is that it? Is it a one-time deal? Or do I have to keep doing it over and over and over again and I mess up and do I have to get saved again? And it's a huge theological issue that exists. Well, I'll tell you exactly where we stand here, but here's the thought. So let me, and, and I've given this illustration once before, I'm going to give it again because to me it's powerful and it's true and I lived it. So when I was in, uh, I was at Moody Bible Institute, first Bible college I went to, and one of the things that uh, we did, we'd go to different uh, places, rescue missions and uh, nursing homes and churches and preach and teach and all those wonderful things. And uh, uh, normally uh, when, when you preach the Word of God, and uh, I was very evangelistic, still am, and uh, would go to a place and uh, at the end I always give the gospel message. Every single message, you'll, you'll never come here and not hear the gospel uh, but it's, uh, of course, with Christians this morning, that's not going to be the central theme. But uh, you go and you give the gospel, uh, maybe give an invitation. Uh, one, two, three people in a crowd like this may come to Christ and uh, trust him. And that's normal. Let's put it that way. Zero to three or four people in a crowd coming to Christ is a wonderful day. On the other hand, when uh, I preached at uh, the Salvation Army, rescue mission, and some of you right now are going to smile because you're going to remember this. I walk into the rescue mission, it's huge. Uh, if you've been to Pacific Guard Mission, that holds several hundred people. I preached there many times back in Chicago when I first got saved. But I'm, I'm coming in as a college student now at Moody Bible Institute, and I'm preaching at this uh, very large Salvation Army meeting. Probably, I'm, uh, I'm six, eight hundred people were in there, I mean wall-to-wall people. Workers all lined up around the side, bunch of folks that are sitting in the service, most of them uh, straight off the street, homeless type folks. And I began to uh, uh, preach. Now, in a rescue mission, I'm not preaching to Christians. I'm trying to tell folks how to get saved and looking for, uh, for a response. So at the, the end of the service, uh, as, as I do, I gave an invitation. Like, if if you're here today and you want to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you raise your hand? I look around the room and almost every single hand was raised, including the workers. 
I'm like, wait a second. I said that wrong. Something isn't right. God said, let me make it very clear. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you need to get saved this morning and trust Christ as your personal Savior, would you raise your hand? Almost every hand in the room went up again. I'm like, wow. I must have a tremendous anointing of God today. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, how am I going to do now, Now, folks, when you do an invitation, and we don't do a lot of them public invitations, we'll do hand raising. I don't do a lot of down the aisle type stuff. But when you, if you remember, have, have you ever, how many of you ever, uh, best way I can do it, because probably most of you have seen it, like a Billy Graham crusade. What happens? Right? You've, you've seen them. What happens? Uh, uh, the, the invitation's given, and people start pouring down the aisle. Well, what are you going to do when every single person in the building raises their hand? Who's going to counsel them? And I'm like, what are we going to do? Well, here's the issue, folks. I finally figured out that I wasn't so hot. <laughs> I wasn't that endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. They're Arminian. You say, well, what's an Arminian? They believe they can lose their salvation. Every single person in there over and over and over and over again uh, receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So uh, it wasn't my great preaching. It was simply that these individuals had the theological persuasion that uh, there's no such thing as e you're just not eternally secure. There's no perseverance of the saints. Now, that's the Arminian camp, which is way over on that side. Now we go to the Calvinist. Now, I'm not calling you all Calvinists over here, okay? So, but uh, uh, you go to the other side of the room, and we have what's known as the Calvinists. Now, there's all sorts of varieties, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but there's what's called five-point Calvinists. Five-point Calvinists believe that uh, God, uh, uh, and, and I would agree with uh, a couple of the points in Calvinism, but here's the issue. The Calvinist says you don't have to worry about doing evangelism because God's going to make sure who he's going to save, they're going to get saved. That's what uh, overtook England, which is why in England today, those churches that used to have thousands of people now have 10, 20, 30 people. You go to Spurgeon's Tabernacle today, which used to be filled with people. And by the way, Spurgeon was Calvinist, but he still preached evangelism. Uh, uh, Spurgeon stated this in one of his, we'll get to the Bible, we're getting there. But uh, we're setting a stage here. Spurgeon made this statement, even though he was a, a strong Calvinist, he said, listen, if God had put a yellow stripe down every single person that was an elect individual, I'd run up and down the streets pulling up shirt tails looking for those yellow stripes. That's how much he believed in it. But the concept is you've got those over here that follow what's known as the, the super five-point Calvinism. You have the Arminians over here that believe, well, there's no, there's no hope there uh, outside of you. Just keep trying and trying and keep giving your life to, back to Christ. So let's see what the biblical principle is this morning. And uh, uh, with as many folks here and, uh, and those that are watching on the Internet, these are huge issues that people struggle with. And I say, oh, Brother Rich, I don't struggle with this. Well, well good. Then we're going to reinforce what you know this morning. But that's what we're going to take a look at. So we will examine three biblical guarantees. There's a guarantee that God gives to every single 
Christian. So let's define, first of all, what is a Christian? And uh, that's the simple part. So what's the biblical definition of a Christian? Well, it's one that embraces 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, which is the basic gospel message, which most of you here know. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, if you will, and that he was buried and that he rose again, what? The third day according to the Scriptures. So if we want to know what the gospel is, three main key pieces to it. One, Jesus dies, Jesus is buried, and Jesus rose again. That's three essential parts to what we know as the gospel. Every single week, practically, we go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which further describes us and gives us a few more pieces of it. And the Bible says, for by grace. Now, that word grace, as you know, means a free, unmerited gift. Uh, a little bit earlier, you watched as we gave out some books to some folks that are here for the first time. It's a gift. I don't have to pay for it. They didn't have to do anything but what? Just reach out and take it, just like many of you did at Christmas. You get a gift or a birthday present. You get a gift. So uh, for by grace, God's free unmerited uh, uh, gift, you have been saved. I was on uh, Jim Schneider. Uh, they had their share I was on there, let's see, Thursday for a couple of hours and uh, with Dalton Windsor, who's their production manager. And uh, we, we, we brought up the thing of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and Dalton says to me, he says, uh, Pastor, he says, uh, what does it mean to be saved? He says, that's uh, one of those Christian words. And, and a lot of people, you say the word saved, and they, they have no concept of what the word saved means. Uh, maybe they, uh, like many folks I've heard say, well, you know, I was in an accident, or I was in the military, and I thought I was going to die, but God saved me. Now, folks, you, might, you, you could have gotten saved at that time and trusted Christ, but that's not a biblical definition of salvation. Saved means that uh, a God has, uh, that you placed your faith and trust in Christ and that you are saved from your sins and the penalty of sin. So God says uh, a grace, a, a true Christian, is one who has received the free gift of, the unmerited free gift of eternal life by placing their faith and trust in Christ, and they are saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. Through what? What is it? What's the word? Faith. It's faith. Faith and faith alone. There's nothing else that is needed for anyone to get saved. The Bible's very specific on that. So you're saved from your sins, saved from the penalty of sin through faith, and that not of yourselves. There's nothing, and, I, and I'm stressing this on purpose, there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. Can't do it. That's a problem in our world because most, re, excuse me, all religions except, and I don't like classifying Christianity as a religion, but uh, uh, if you look at all religions in the world, there's only one, 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 one that says you're saved by faith and not by what you do. Which is that? Christianity. You're sitting in the room this morning. It's a Christian church. Every single other religion, you work, you hope, you pray. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get to heaven. Not according to God's word. He says you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is, again, and he stresses the word, the gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any person should boast. Now, here's the issue. Many of you have, and, and I don't know what that many may be a, a broad, too broad of a number, but there's a good number of folks that 
have gone through and, and embraced Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and accepted Christ as your personal Savior, then all of a sudden something enters into your life and you aren't walking with God the way you know you should. And you begin to doubt your salvation because you're fighting and fighting and fighting within yourself. And, and it's like, I'm not doing right. And I, I'm not sure that I... And, and that struggle begins. And it's like, man, you know, I, I thought I loved the Lord, but why am I doing this? Why am I falling? Why am I, why am I doing some sinful behavior that I just absolutely know I shouldn't be doing? And I'm struggling and struggling with this. Am I lost or am I saved? Did I mean it or didn't I mean it? All right, well, stay tuned. We're going to help you with that. By the way, let's make it very clear. I included verse 10 this morning. For we Christians, not the unsaved, but Christians, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Do good works that God honors come before or after one trusts Christ? After. Uh, by the way, every good thing that we think we did before Christ Romans 3, 10 through 23 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, uh, all of our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing good about us. You say, well, I thought I did some pretty good things before I got saved. In God's eyes, it was like a filthy rag. It was worthless, useless. When, did God, when does God honor good works? After you've trusted Christ, because now God anticipates that his children are going to love him and serve him. And you say, well, that's the struggle I have. I've not done that. I believe I trusted Christ. I, I try to do the wrong things, but I'm battling inside of me. You know that Brother Rich battles every single day of his life? You say, wait a minute, you're a pastor. Life is good. You know God better than anyone uh, in this auditorium. Not so. Not so. You see, every single one of us struggles with what? We have the old sinful nature. And that's why Ephesians says, listen, put on the armor of God every time you wake up. Uh, uh, get right with God. You spend time in the Word. Spend time uh, 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 fellowshipping with Him. And, and you say, well, I, I tried to do that, but I failed. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. I haven't been in church forever. I showed up today. Uh, uh, sometimes I come to church, but I'm still struggling. My life is a constant back and forth, back and forth. And that's, yeah, okay, congratulations. <laughs> Same thing every single one of us deals with every single day of our life. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a war because we're involved in what? Spiritual warfare every single day of our life. There's somebody that wants you to fail. There's somebody that wants me to fail. It's Satan and the demonic army. Don't forget 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 makes it very clear that Satan is the small g God of this world and he will do everything he can to knock you down. So it is a battle. So if you got that battle going on in your mind and it's tough and you struggle, welcome to Christianity, folks. You see, many uh, uh, folks falsely state when someone makes a decision and trusts Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, life is going to be great, wonderful, no more challenges, all life is good. We could spend the next week of people coming up here and sharing testimonies of things that they've gone through, heartbreaks that they've had, struggles that they've gone through. But you know what the difference is? The difference between the unsaved and a person that's placed their faith and trust in Christ is we keep on coming back. We keep on realizing where our assurance is in Christ. Well, let's look at some of that this morning. 
Titus chapter 3, one more. What's a biblical definition of a Christian? Paul, uh, again, states to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, nothing we can do to earn, earn salvation, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, Ah, we need to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified, that is a legal declaration. In other words, if you were standing before God right now and he had the gavel in his hand and he said, and he knows your heart, if you placed your faith and trust in Christ by faith alone, and he says, have you done that? And God knows your heart. You say, well, absolutely I did. He says, I declare you just. I declare you free from sin. I declare you righteous, if you will, as you enter into the joy of the Lord. That's a positional declaration that God makes for every one of his children. You've been justified by his what? By his free gift of eternal life. Therefore, we should become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. Well, let's look at the biblical definition now as we go into 2 Corinthians chapter 1 of established. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ, we'll get to the next part, and has anointed us as whom? God. It is God who establishes you, Christian. So what does the concept of established mean? Uh, one of the things, and I know uh, some of the Bible study groups that we have, you use Bible study tools, which are helpful. When, when we look at uh, uh, words in English, we go back to the original languages to try and pull out some of the meat that's associated with it. So we're talking about establishment or establishing you. What does it mean? It means to put something beyond doubt. Did you catch that? To put something beyond doubt. Well, you know, you know, Brother Rich, i gotta be, I got to be honest. I, I doubt my salvation sometimes. I'm not sure. And God says, listen, I, wanna, I want you to understand that when you're established in Christ, there's no doubt about it. It's firm. It's secure. What else does it it's, it's confirmed. This is an unequivocal judicial, again, and, and I like this because God uses a lot of judicial terms. In other words, uh, uh, um, legal terms. And God is saying, listen, I declare you established in Christ. The moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you first realized you were a sinner. You realized that because you sinned, you don't deserve to go to heaven, but deserve a, a eternity, an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. And you weren't too happy when you first heard that. And you said, well, is there a way out of that? I don't want to go there. And God said, yeah, there is a way out of that because there's an individual God himself, God's son, Jesus Christ, who said, I will come down from heaven. I'll live some 33 years on this earth, and then after those 33 years, I will willingly go to that cross to pay for your sins. And every single person, as we just looked at in the three verses or three passages we just looked at, that placed their faith and trust in Christ, God says through the apostle Paul to Titus, you are established. It's a guarantee. It's confirmed that you're his child. 
You say, well, I, I, I'm still doubting. I, I'm still not sure. Well, let's see what else God does for you. Uh, uh, he says, you're uh, anointed. Let's go back to that verse. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ, and what? Has anointed us. Now, that's a very interesting word. Like, how does God anoint us? Well, let's take a look at the Old Testament very quickly. Uh, back in the Old Testament, if you read through it, I mean, there's pages and pages and pages. If you run the word anoint in your uh, um concordance or on Lagos or some of those programs, and you just get pages and pages of, the, of this word being used in Scripture. And it's a very important word because just like in the Old Testament, every single person, every single item that was used in the temples and the tabernacles and in service for God, they were anointed, uh, usually with oil. And uh, let's take a look at a couple of those. So what does anoint mean? It means to assign a person to a task, appoint one for a position. Positionally, when you placed your faith and trust in Christ, you were anointed. So let's keep going on that concept. Now, by the way, there's a, I'm going to go here for a second. There are individuals that uh, you'll hear in uh, um, certain denominations or groups that will use this term. Boy, that guy sure is anointed a God. What are they saying? What they, it's kind of stretching the term a bit, to be quite frank, but what they're saying is there's a person who has literally the Holy Spirit's working in that person and doing a marvelous work. And, and they'll often use, oh, there's unction there. Uh, by the way, the word unction, have you ever heard that? How many have heard the word unction in, from a Christian term? It basically means anointed. That, that's the same exact word uh, uh, in the originals, anointed, uh, uh, unction, touched by the Holy Spirit of God to do usually a great work for him. And God says, though, every single one of you is established in Christ. Every single one of you that placed your faith and trust in Christ is anointed, if you will, positionally, by the Lord himself. So it's to assign a person to a task, appoint one for a position to formally anoint. Example, the Old Testament practice of pouring of olive oil on a prophet, priest, or king as a symbol or choice of approval. Every single one of you in this room that's placed your faith and trust in Christ is not only established, you're anointed by God. You've been appointed to a position. You say, I don't, I don't much feel like that. I, don't, done, I still feel just the same as I always did, but positionally, you've been anointed by God. That's exactly what he's saying here. You've been appointed to a position. Uh, uh, the Mosaic Law, again, the, the concept of anoint, it comes from the Latin ungo, to smear as with oil, and the synonym for unction, which is the exact same concept. The anointing of persons, places, and things with oil or ointment of a particular composition was a mode of, catch this now, consecration prescribed by divine authority and extensively practiced among the Hebrews. So it's a very Old Testament concept that God had. We'll get to new in just a moment. The ingredients of the ointment embracing the most exquisite perfumes and balsams and minutely given, and the common use of it was expressly forbidden. So God had this formula, if you will, for anointing, and it was never to be duplicated for anything else outside of for God's purpose. Now that is symbolic, the Old Testament concept of what we currently embrace as God's people 
today. So when we're talking about things that were anointed back in the Old Testament times, uh, this is a picture of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle in the Old Testament took place before what was the permanent fixture that the Jews came to worship at? The what? The temple, all right? The tabernacle, while the, while the Jews were wandering from Egypt to uh, the promised land, God informed them about a tabernacle that was to be used. Basically, it's a tent that could be taken up, put down, moved along with them. And uh, the Jewish people used that for many, many years until the first temple was built in 960 B.C. But part of the thing that God said, listen, you don't use that tabernacle. You don't use that altar. You don't use those implements, if you will, until they've been anointed, which means what? They've been set aside for God's work. They've been anointed with oil by God. So anointing was extremely important. Uh, We look at other things. We talk about uh, individuals uh, that were anointed. Think about King David who was anointed. Think about the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant that was anointed. Uh, The tabernacle which was anointed. So again, from a historical piece, anointing was extremely important. Well, how about the gospel of grace? What kind of anointing takes place for you today? Of course, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Mosaic Law, is over and was accomplished through what Jesus himself did on the cross. But now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in a very specific position with God is God. So in other words, the Christian is set apart and positionally given eternal life with the Lord. You say, Brother Rich, I... I, I, I still, I know, I do things I wish I wouldn't do. Do. Take a look around, folks. Every single person in here does things we wish we wouldn't do. You say, well, I struggle with it, and it's like, am I truly saved? And it's like, well, here's really the true question to ask. Was there a point in time when you realized you were a sinner, that you realized you were lost and deserved hell, that, that you realized that Jesus Christ was God's Son, that He came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and was there a point in time in your life when you said, yes, I place my faith and trust in Christ alone, I know I can't get there on my own, and you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior at that time? Can, did you do that? You say, well, I'm not sure. All right, that's a fair, that's a fair statement as well. Well, you know, in about five to ten minutes, I'm going to invite you to do it again. If, you've not, if you weren't sure, if you're like, I don't know if I meant it. Okay, don't live in torture. Don't live there beating yourself up. I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. How about settling it today and, and getting it right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, if you're not sure, let's make sure. So we'll do that in a few moments. But, but he says, listen, now he who establishes us with you and has anointed us. These are things that God gives to us. Does it make, does the establishment, does the anointing make you perfect? It does not, right? I, I mean, that's, that's, that's the Christian life. And that's Paul said, oh, uh, the, uh, we'll get to that further on in, the, in 2 Corinthians. And Paul says, man, I, I want to do this, but I do that. I'm trying to do this, but I do that. And I'm struggling, I'm struggling, and I'm struggling. That was the apostle Paul said he struggled with things. Until we get to heaven, we don't get rid of this old human nature, the sinful nature. It's constantly there. It's constantly struggling. We're constantly going through spiritual battles day and night. So don't, when, when it's like, Am I truly saved because I thought a bad thought or I said a wrong thing? 
had, uh, I certainly won't say who it is, but I got a call oh, multiple weeks ago, dear, dear person. It's said, man, I woke up, and I was swearing in my dream. And I woke up, and I said a bad word. Some of you are like, well, that happens every day. No. Anyway, um, but here's the point. My point is this. You st- the moment you trusted Christ, did everything become perfect? Now, positionally, yes. Positionally, heaven is, is as perfect as you can get. Positionally, knowing I'm going to heaven, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, being established, being anointed in Christ, that's absolute. But are you still going to struggle on this old earth? Yeah, I'm sorry, but you are. And uh, he says, he who has anointed us is God. Well, let's look at the final one. Boy, now, now here's one. I wanna, I, if the first two didn't get you, I want to get you with this one. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. This is phenomenal. It's a, and, and I just believe it's so rock solid about what the Holy Spirit does when you trust Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit seal. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, first part of verse 22. And the Holy Spirit who has done what? He has sealed us. I mean, uh, uh, you get, uh, uh, maybe you, you got uh, uh, some of those nice little plastic bags at home and they got those nice little, I, li- I like the ones that got the little tab and you can pull it across and man, it's sealed and you can shake it up and down and nothing comes out. And uh, uh, God says, you, you think that's a seal? Yeah, I know my seal. He's like, it's much better than a glad wrap or whatever those things are. And it's like, it's much better than a plastic baggie that's got two zip ties on the top. It's like, my seal is permanent. This seal is irrevocable. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, I do wrong and sometimes I falter and sometimes I say things I shouldn't or I do things I shouldn't. Uh, but I, 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 I really believe I place my faith and trust in Christ. I, I believe that with all my heart, but I still struggle. And God says, yeah, you're going to struggle. Yes, you're going to struggle. Maybe you need to spend a little time with me to help you get through those tough times and the times of temptation. But I'm here for you, and I love you. And uh, uh, you're, you're not only established in Christ, you've been anointed for a position by Christ. And I've sealed you with my precious Holy Spirit. Uh, well, let's go back to that picture. If you look on, on the picture, you'll see a, a scrolls that are sealed so in uh, uh, biblical time, and quite frankly, and, and most of you know I was in law enforcement for quite some time, 32 years, that's long. And uh, when we would collect evidence, and I don't know if the, uh, all the agencies still do this. They've got probably fancier stuff than I had when I first was collecting evidence 30-plus years ago. But you'd, uh, uh, let's just assume you're, you're in a car, you're doing a search, and you pull out a little marijuana pipe, or uh, maybe you pull out a kilo of dope. That's a little more impressive. And uh, uh, what do you do? You take that and you get a, a bag and, and uh, depending on the kind of elements, you either put it in a plastic bag or a paper bag and uh, you fold it up nice and then dead serious. We would pull out a red stick of wax and we get out the lighter and I'm not kidding you, in the year 2000, we're, we're, we're taking wax and we're making a a, a, a seal across the bag. And when you go to court and the judge says, all right, I want to see, uh, or the, the prosecutor says, 
or the defense attorney says, I want to see the evidence that you have. And you pull the evidence out and they examine the seal to make sure that it wasn't broken. If the seal was broken, the evidence was no good. It was tampered. They threw it out. So you got to make sure you get a good seal. And God says, oh, have I got a good seal. It's irrevocable. It's un." Breakable. So when you see the seals on the scroll, if uh, uh, those were placed there, and then uh, the, the person would take a, a ring or a, uh, let's just say something that had a metal piece on the bottom with the insignia of whoever was sealing it, and you'd put it in the wax and make sure that it's set because it was a seal. Well, God's seal is unbreakable. And God says, listen, when I sealed you, you aren't getting out. When I put you inside of Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and you became one of my children, I've got you and I'm not letting go. You say, can you prove that? I think we can. Uh, he's given us the Spirit in our hearts as a what? A guarantee. I gar you ever hear the guy on the, I guarantee it. You all know the commercial uh, men's suits. I guarantee it. Well, God guarantees it. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, God guarantees it. Why? Because he's established you. He's anointed you. And what else has he done? He sealed you. That's an irrevocable judicial determination. You are unbreakable seal. Let's move on and go to two sets of verses and we're done. I want you, those of you that are struggling... I want you to grasp onto these two sets of verses this morning. I want you to embrace what, who God is. Just like, you, did you get saved by what you did or by what Jesus did? Did you get saved by what you do or by what Jesus did? Jesus. All right. Who came to dwell within you when you placed your faith and trust in Christ? The Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, uh, so let's not, let's not doubt what God said here. And again, I want to make it perfectly clear. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Anyway, I want to make it very clear. This is for those that at some point in time in your life, you placed your faith and trust in Christ. Again, if you haven't, we'll talk to you in just a moment. But if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, at some point in your life, you said yes to Jesus, you accepted the free gift of eternal life, here's what happened. First, or, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him... In Jesus you also, what? Trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having, what? Believed. Wait, wait a minute. Salvation is by what? It's by faith. Faith is what? Believing in that which you haven't literally seen. So he said, listen, uh, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I, let's see. Is there a qualifier? Well, let's see what the qualifier is. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our what? Our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Tonight we're going to talk about that huge inheritance waiting for you. But let's take a look at the first piece of this this morning. You see, if you're in Christ Jesus, you placed your faith and trust in him. 
You're one of God's children. And uh, uh, every single one of you, and I don't want to take away tonight's message, but here, here's the thing. Listen, God's got an inheritance waiting for you. The testator has died, Jesus Christ. He gave his life so that you could have eternal life. When you place your faith and trust in him, he said, listen, I'm establishing you, I'm anointing you, and yes, indeed, I am sealing you. Now, here's the issue that you struggle with, and the verse, this last set of verses pointed out. Are you ready? Read these. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart right now if you're struggling, because, boy, this is rock solid. Christian, one who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Christian, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Christian, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who has sealed you for the day of redemption. You say, what does that mean? How many of you got parents? Make sure we don't have any cyborgs in here. Every single one of you got parents. Does every single one of you have a mom and a dad? Absolutely you do. Now, I'm not talking about what some of the wacky things that can happen in a judicial system can do. I'm talking about literal here. Your mom and dad. Is there any way on earth, except through some legal, silly nonsense that can take place in today's culture, but is there any way on earth that mom and dad are not your real mom and dad? I mean, they're your mom and dad, no matter who they are, and even if you're adopted, you know who a, a, a real mom and dad are. So every single one of us has a true mom and dad, and you're always part of that family. Again, barring all the ridiculous legal things that can take place, in reality, every single one of us has a true mom, a true dad, and that never, ever changes because you're part of that family. Hopefully we can agree on that because here's how God states it. When, the Holy, when you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, every single person, the second you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And God says this, Christian, you know when you do wrong, you know when you feel like you failed God, you know when you feel like you failed yourself, and you say, I can't take it, I'm not sure I'm saved, and, and what am I going to do? And God says, listen, child, listen, my beloved, yeah, you messed up. You not only grieved yourself, but who else did you grieve? The Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are what? You're sealed. And what does he say? And then he goes through a bunch of sins and says, just, it's time to get right with God and push those sins aside, whatever they might be. Listen, if you're struggling with your salvation this morning and you know there's a point in time when you placed your faith in Christ, of course, there's going to be trials. Of course, at times, they're going to do things that God says, listen, that are grievous to the Holy Spirit, and you disappoint Him. You disappoint your mom and dad. Every single one of us in this room have disappointed our mom and dad at some point. I know I sure did. And I've watched as my mom would go into her room, and I've shared this before, and she'd 
go on 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 her bed when my dad was at work and I uh, someone would call up from school and say uh, do you have a son named Richard I, I do and she knew what was coming uh, uh, do you know that he was caught fighting today and uh, got in trouble and uh, you, you need to talk to your son and get him straightened out and my mom would go into the bedroom and she began to cry and weep and beg God that uh, my, her son would get right with God and get saved and uh, by the way, her prayers did get answered when I was a teenager, when I came to Christ. But up until that time, I grieved my mom. And my dad would come home and he'd have words and other things with me. And uh, trying to get me straightened out, just like your mom and dad did. And, and we could grieve them. Did my mom or dad ever say, I'm done with you. You'll never be my son again. Now, they might have thought that a few times, but they couldn't do it. Right? Because I grieved them but I'm still part of their family. Christian, if you're here this morning and you're disappointing God, you've grieved the Spirit of God, thank God that if you truly had placed your faith and trust at one time, you're his child. By the way, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, even as a father, a son, in whom he delights. And when you feel that spanking, when you feel that, I can't believe I did that, in your heart, are you saved this morning? You say, I place my faith and trust in Christ. Well, that's good. Do you understand you're established? Do you understand you're anointed? Do you understand you're sealed? Finally, if you're here this morning, you say, listen, I've got to be honest. I don't know that I've ever placed my faith and trust in Christ. Well, we've got about two minutes left. Let me tell you how you can do that. And I've already shared it in the message this morning. It's called the gospel. The gospel is this. Folks, every single one of us, starting right here at the top, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And God said if we got what we deserve, every single one of us would spend eternity in an awful place called hell. That's what Rich Schmidt deserves. And unfortunately, and I don't mean to be unkind, it's the same thing you deserve. You say, why? Because we're all sinners. And Revelation 21.8 says it's an eternal lake of fire. It's politically incorrect, but biblically spot on. That's what awaits those that don't place their faith and trust in Christ. But Jesus said, I've got a way for you to escape completely and eternally the awful uh, punishment, if you will, of the word we call hell or eternal punishment. And Jesus said, I love you so much that I came down from heaven. I died on the cross for your sins was buried. And three days later, I rose from the dead, proving that I'm God. And then let's just go right back to one of the verses we used this morning. God's got that free gift that's waiting for you this morning. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm inviting you, please, would you take that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we close, there's sacred work that needs to be done right now. Father, there's some here that have been struggling with their salvation. They're tempted. They're tried. Uh, they've been battering themselves trying to figure out, am I truly saved or not? Well, if that's you this morning and you still, you say, Brother Rich, I, I got to be honest. I, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Well, the best thing I can encourage you to do is just absolutely let's settle it this morning so that you can get those doubts released and put away once and for all. If you're here this morning and say, Brother Rich, I, I truly, I need to uh, receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior this morning. Are you ready to do it? It's by faith. You say, well, what do I need to do? It's by faith. It's by placing your faith and trust, realizing what Jesus did for you on the cross in dying for your sins, rising again from the dead, and he paid the entire sin debt for you. I'm going to say a prayer in the moment. The prayer will not save you. 
But if you're by faith trusting Jesus Christ this morning, by faith, how about we pray a prayer of thanksgiving together? Again, it's not the prayer that will take you to heaven. It's your faith alone that will take you there. But I'd like to confirm that. I'd like to tell God things I'm thinking about. And if you're here this morning or watching on the Internet and are ready to trust Jesus, and you say, by faith, I'm receiving that free gift this very moment. Well, maybe you want to pray something like this, a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for what's happening in your heart this very moment. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but right now, this very moment, I know I place my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me, and I've received that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. If you're here this morning, all heads are still bowed, please. Have you been struggling? <laughs> we all struggle, my friend. How about right now saying, listen, Lord, would you help me to, to walk with you? Those things that have been tempting me, would you help me to overcome those things? Because greater is he that is in me, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. Thank you for establishing me. Thank you for anointing me. And thank you for sealing me. Help me to walk with you. And Lord, give me the strength. Help me to get that spiritual armor on so that I can absolutely believe those words which were spoken from your word this morning. Seal decisions. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. And all God's